Hey, it's Jordan here. Before we begin, I just wanted to thank you for the incredible reception we've had to the books we published this past fall. Peter Hoodra's Day actually recently sold out, and we're in the process of doing a second printing. So if you didn't have a chance to pick it up and want to, you can order it now on our website at magichourphoto.org slash books. You can also find Ian Lewandowski's book, The Ice Palace is Gone, which we still have a few more copies of. Thanks so much, and hope you enjoy the show. I'm Jordan Weitzman, and you're listening to Magic Hour. On a cold winter day last month, I took an early morning train from Penn Station out to Long Island to meet Gary Schneider. Originally from East London, South Africa, Schneider moved to New York in the late 70s to work for Richard Foreman's Ontological Hysterical Theatre. It was there that he met his partner, the performer John Erdman. In 1981, with the encouragement of their friend Peter Hujar, Schneider and Erdman opened up a photo lab in New York's East Village, which would become legendary. Schneider went on to print for Richard Avedon, Lisette Modell, Irving Penn, Nan Golden, Robert Gober, and of course, Peter Hujar. In Hujar's dying wishes, he specified that Schneider was the only person who'd be allowed to make posthumous prints of his work. Funny enough, Schneider's photos look nothing like his old friends. They are tough, microscopically detailed portraits of friends and artists' faces and bodies. They've been exhibited internationally, and they're the subject of his dozen monographs. We sat in the living room of their cottage, surrounded by snow-covered birch trees, to record this conversation. It felt like a pretty magical place to be in. I wonder if you can talk about this place where we are. I mean, it's oh, my, pretty... Our house? Um, yeah. It's a little it's, small for me. It's... <laughs> It's amazing. How long have you been out here for? Oh, um, well, it's complicated. We 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 bought the place in '93 mm-hmm. uh, because I needed a large dark room, mm-hmm. um, uh, and so we bought it for the studio. Uh, and it's close to the city. Uh, but driving it can be like an hour and ten minutes without traffic. Mm-hmm. Right, the train was an hour, ninety minutes. Right, it's really good. Um, yeah. Had you always wanted to? Had you guys always wanted to um, not live in the city? No, no, we couldn't afford, you couldn't afford that okay. much space in the city. I see. I see. Yeah. The reason why we like this place is we're we're near the river, mm. right? We're near Commons River, and so it's it's very beautiful, and we're surrounded by nature preserve. It's really beautiful. Yeah, it's very pretty, um, and I love trees, mm-hmm. and this place had beautiful trees. Um, but you know it's big enough. This but place- I would rather have my studio in the same. Like I don't want even walking to my studio like we did now. You don't like that? No, I hate. I hate the separation. Really? They're two kinds of artists. The wow. ones that actually have to separate their studio from where they live, and, and that's so- hardly a separation. No, it's it's literally a path. Yeah, but it the means house. that you know I can't in the middle of the night have an idea, get out of bed, go and <laughs> go. <laughs> but you get to go walk and make to, a print. But you get to walk to work. Yeah, I get to walk to work. You get to, but yeah. I have to heat it now, and you know it's yeah. a separate building. There's not something about literally just the act of opening the door and walking outside the house. Some people need that. I hate that. You don't like that. I hate that. Huh, you'd like it to all be under one roof, which is how the lab was, right? You guys? No, no, it, we didn't. No, that was we lived on St. Mark's Place. Okay, and the lab was on Cooper Square, okay. which is very close to. Yeah, 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 yeah. Huh. And then I taught at Cooper Union, so it was perfect. 
Right. Yeah. Let's just backtrack for a second. How do you get into this whole into the whole printing racket in the first place? You started all Yeah. How did it all start? How did it all Oh begin? you want like history? Yeah, I want history. What? It's so funny to talk like this in a way because I f- I feel like by comparison yeah. to the real book people, yeah. I'm like, you know, I'm my little world, right? But I'm you, not like one of, you know, I'm not such a maven. Okay, I, re- on, I, I, I relate to that feeling, but at the same time, I mean, yeah. your art work alone aside, mm-hmm. the people that you worked with, yeah, um, th- who you printed for, the story of the lab, where it was, the milieu oh, that oh, was in, oh, it's all yeah. super interesting. Yeah, I know. I know, yeah. I know. I know that. I mean, that sort and, of came out for during the Harvard uh, uh, journey, uh-huh. you know, when they were collecting that work and then doing the show and that book. This yeah. is the show of all your printer's proofs that you'd yes. accumulated throughout the years. It got acquired by Harvard. I just wanted to protect that work in an archive where there was a great conservation department that would look after the work. And so I had entire exhibitions by some artists mm-hmm. like Nan Golden and, 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 and Robert Gober and so on, and huge number of prints. I never wanted that stuff to come on the market. And so it was good to place it in a place where it could be used because it's a major study collection, right? And it could be conserved because it's one of the more major conservation departments. That was my intent. That was our intention, John and me. Mm-hmm. We wanted to protect that work. And this, um, what well, you're talking about, these prints, they all consist of, they're all printer's proofs that you accumulated over the years for people, photographers that you, that you worked with. I'm a collector. We're both collectors, kind of. We think like collectors. Mm-hmm. And I thought, well, I, you know, I'm spending so much time doing these things. I'm not making enough money. Uh, you know, I could I could get a print when I do an edition, mm-hmm. you know, when it's a big enough edition. Mm-hmm. Um, but someone like Robert Gober, he kind of, he's so used to it. He, you know, generously wanted us to have the prints, mm-hmm. which is great. So, um, uh, so yes, I accumulated these proofs and they're all stamped and you know, they all signed and numbered and all that stuff. They're all very official. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, that's sort of how it happened. Yeah. What years did you guys start the lab in? 81. 81. Yeah. And how how did you decide to open the one? Well, I was working in a fashion lab. Mm -hmm. And um, I loved being in the darkroom. Very few people love being in the darkroom. And I'm very dyslexic. And so darkroom is sort of perfect for a dyslexic. A lot of photographers are. Yeah. Uh, It's kind of a common thing. And I was good at it. And Peter Ujar got me a job in a photo lab with mm-hmm. someone he'd worked with. Hmm. I mean, I couldn't stand working for someone. I'm not good at working for someone. Right. It's part of the reason why I quit teaching. Uh-huh. You know? <laughs> yeah. Not so good at bureaucracy. Yeah. Um, uh, and, you know, he encouraged it, Peter. But he also, I was ready for it. And I was going to do it anyway, just print for some people. But he encouraged it growing into like a large business and we were not good at that we really weren't good at that it's interesting because you always hear people talk about him in the way that he was not the best businessman and not the best he was the worst business right but he was encouraging of you start this lab and grow it and for other people he was it's curious right it's It's curious he had this fantasy that we could become yeah 
a big lab. I mean, we became very, you know, successful. Right. We printed for amazing people. Yeah. There is, I can't believe you printed for Lisette Modell. Well, that was Peter too. He was so in awe of her. What's curious to me is he was very cognizant of how she printed. He never studied with her. People mm-hmm. think he did, but he didn't. But he printed the same way that she wanted her things printed. Hmm. And I think he wanted me to study with her. Oh, yeah, he wanted me to study with her. And that, so that's why he made me print her. Ah. Yeah, because I was, I was not ready. Mm-hmm. I was very new and nervous about her. She was sort of this famous, you know, teacher, artist, influence. She really influenced a lot of people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I wonder if you could tell the story of meeting her and uh, um, remember she... Did she, she, lived, you- she, lived, uh, she lived on, God, now I'm going to forget, I think Sixth Avenue and downstairs in a little flat she lived right, yeah, yeah. in the West in Village, in a basement in the West Village, yeah. right. Yeah. But there's this amazing story where she sends you was it to Washington D.C. to meet Gerd Sander? Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, you want that story? Yeah, I want that okay. story. It's so good. Gerd, she was doing a portfolio, yeah, like with Harry Lunn. I think it was with Harry Lunn. He was a dealer in Washington. Yes, right. And um, her printer for that. She'd fired her printer. And I'm trying to remember who her printer had been. And then Gerd took it over. Gerd Sander, August's grandson. But he'd moved to Washington and he didn't want to do it anymore. And when I was interviewing with her, she said, you have to go to Washington to meet Gerd and he will teach you how to make my prints. <laughs> <laughs> so you go. And he gave me, yeah, so I go there. It's very sweet, wonderful family day, uh-huh. you know, with his, with his whole family. And he said, I only have one piece of advice for you. When you go to her, take at least six prints. Within it is the one that you think is the most resolved, like from her instructions because she gave huge amounts of instructions, Mm -hmm. and then let her discover it in the pile. Like, it should be pretty much towards the end of the pile. Like, you know. Why did he say six prints? Well, at least six. Why at least six, though? So she had something to work off of. So she had something to, um, you know, choose from. Uh I mean, the same thing would happen with Peter. Like, I would go to Peter. He'd lay out his, his printing, of that image on the like on the floor actually mm-hmm. like push this back pull this forward etc you know make this brighter like do some you know do some ferrocyanide on this highlight to make it pop more you know was doing yeah. that always an additive process like you would discover what you needed to either pull or push bring out or um, subdue as you printed like you needed to see something in order to work off it well, that's how you print. Right. I mean, that's what Peter would be doing, right? I mean, if you look at Peter's negatives, they're generally the ones that he photographed in the studio, the ones that are like in his loft. The negatives are extraordinarily good, mm-hmm. like very straightforward. There's lots of information. Mm-hmm. And then he he moved from there, right? You know, he pushed things like there are many blacks in his photographs that he you know, he basically pushed into silhouette. 
right? Mm, Rather yeah. than have save detail. He wasn't interested in saving detail. Hmm. He was interested in the story. What do you mean by that? He wasn't story? interested in detail. He's interested in the story. He describes how he can take the portrait into the darkroom of, uh, I'm blocking his name now. Uh, Allen Ginsberg. Allen Ginsberg. Yeah. He can take Allen Ginsberg's portrait, even though he's not happy with it, right? He can take it into the darkroom and he can make the face more interesting. I don't know. I'm, not, I'm quoting. Yeah. I'm misquoting him. But basically, that's what he's saying, right? He can rearrange it tonally so that what's happening in the portrait becomes more interesting because he's, you know, highlighted the face or pushed the face. I don't know what he did. But he can burn and dodge the, the print and, and do some bleaching. He did a lot of bleaching in mm-hmm. those days. Um, uh, to re- you know, to to refocus the attention of the viewer to locate the story that he wanted to tell, right? Of that image, right? So, like when we would be standing, sitting there, standing there, actually looking at the set of prints, he was in his own head. He used me as a kind of kind of a, a kind of mirror or a bound like a you know to bounce off of uh to see what the story was right was it in his head or could it could it was the audience going to be able to understand that as well mm-hmm. right and so by me narrating what i was seeing uh it it would resonate with him or not yeah. Do you feel like you still work that way digitally? Like, do you st- like a, 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 even more so. Really? I totally do the same thing. I make a print digitally, right? So I can either, for these little prints, I scan them myself or have them scanned on a drum scanner. I make a proof. I put it on the wall. I live with it. I make adjustments. They could be contrast, density, um, uh, color, uh, and I I keep tweaking until until the until it begins to function. Now, function is kind of such a general umbrella, dumb word, but literally, it, at a certain point, the image comes alive, or what I want from it comes alive. What do you and want? that yeah. totally comes from Peter. What? Um... Yeah. I, could you describe that what that thing is that you, that you uh, want from it? It's a weird thing. I like to make one print at a time, whether it's for myself or whether it's for Peter, right? Mm-hmm. Each time I make another print for Peter, I don't press a button. I make a proof. Uh-huh. Really? <laughs> I put it on the wall and I, I say, oh, my God, you know. I can because maybe in, in the interim I've kind of learned more about him or more about that image. And I think, oh, but what if I did this? It's not to say that it's better. It's just more in tune with what I care about the image now. Mm, that reflects, <laughs> and so it doesn't yeah. really change from the darkroom. It's kind of similar. Mm. It's quite similar. Do you, you do that because yes, yeah, that's just the way you think? Or I keep, you... It keeps the work alive for me. Uh-huh. And the, the great thing about that little piece um, is I'm channeling that voice, mm-hmm. like him having that conversation with me 
about the work, mm-hmm. you know. And I only really experienced that briefly with his work, like directly, because in the last year of his life, I printed for him. He, after he was diagnosed, he didn't want to go back into the dark room. Yeah. When I was making the prints for him in that last year, he was trying to make the shift to someone else making the prints. And so now that he's dead, you know, I, because I own so many of his prints and I never, when I'm proofing them, I don't, I don't proof them against other posthumous prints that I've made. I proof them against prints that he made. I see. (laughs) Right. Because I'm constantly wanting to keep them in a kind of, you know, um, place where they're, being remade they're alive yeah they're alive so no and so i'm like channeling like him having a conversation with me well what if you you know what if you did this this time yeah i know it's, it's hard to to say something to this without looking at something specifically but mm. yeah we don't what, have visuals no here. we don't have visuals but mm. what are some of those things like there was something I, I, in something that I read or saw, you were talking about this, um, the last photo, or the only photo that you printed with him in his life, which was it's a picture of a dog. No, no, I printed a lot for him, but the, I mean, he made an edition of the Chopin. I see. In order to give those as gifts. I see. To his doctors and so on. But he, I don't think he ever did. Right. But the interesting thing uh, with that picture is that um, you, something like you showed it to him and he suggested there there be a little a, a slight halo around. Yes, so, and you don't. It's some it, it, like it's a subtlety that you don't notice. You don't. No, you don't notice unless you it's pointed out. I mean, oh. I, I I wouldn't have noticed it unless until when you pointed it out. It's like oh my god, wow, it's true. <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, there's another one that I'm working on now, which is uh, I think it's Larry Ray. It's from Portraits in Life and Death, where he was pouring sweat, like pouring sweat. Peter spotted out all the sweat highlights. Mm. I mean, it's extraordinary. Huh. I you wonder know, why he huge would... amount. Because huh. he didn't want to be distracted by it. So, you know, I definitely learned a lot from him. Like when I'm making a portrait, like his statement about changing the portrait to make it more interesting mm-hmm. is, it's like mind blowing to me because I haven't talked to Peter since 19, you know, 87 yeah. right and 87 was we weren't talking about photographs in 87 mm-hmm. you know so it's really a long time ago and i'm still hearing those conversations about this little thing is distracting get rid of it mm-hmm. or this other thing in the face is more interesting bring it forward by pushing that back right right so I'm having, I, he's in my head always. Right. And now that I'm actually also printing for him, he sort of comes into the studio with me, the studio. He comes into my computer with me when I'm making my work. Right. So he's re- it's really a teacher mentor. Right. It's kind of interesting that, isn't it? Yeah, it's very interesting. Mm. And it's a really interesting segue into your work because we're talking about printing in the lab and printing for Peters and others, but you've had a whole... Um, career making your own work that couldn't be 
I mean, that, that you could talk about these ideas in a similar light, but your work is so different from... It doesn't look anything like his. It doesn't look anything I like know, his. I know, I know. So, it comes from a completely different place. What I take from him also is I'm also trying to arrive at an unveiled relationship with the person I'm photographing, but I come at it at such in a, such a different way. Yeah. Right? I mean... So, where does your approach come from? It came from him too. Because okay. he because he he worked in a still life studio, mm-hmm. and he and he once made a comment that um, because the still life was a setup, right, with a large format camera, most times you could actually light it, but then supplement that using a flashlight, filling in the shadows. So you'd make Polaroids and then you'd like work out how to make the, the correct transparency by filling in the shadows with a flashlight mm-hmm. because it's such a long exposure. And then also Julia Margaret Cameron, those big heads were like eight minute exposures. And so, so much can happen within eight minutes. And so I borrowed bet- between the two of them. Those are my two masters, I like see. how to you know how to make the portrait. Right. And the unveiled quality of Cameron I don't know how well you know her portraits. Yeah, I do. I, I just like, I'm a huge fan. Um, uh, they're unveiled because of who she was, obviously, but also because this, she couldn't really, there's no, there's no, you know, there's no single moment there. There's yeah. no decisive moment. There's eight minutes of, uh, you know, of a film, basically. Mm-hmm. And so that's what I borrowed. Those two things, yeah. What about the, uh, you know, your earliest uh, series that I've seen? It's um, it's a series called Specimens, and it's... Uh, oh, I'm sorry, yeah. I it, meant to show that to you. Oh, yeah, I'd love um, to see the, the book. So, yeah, this is the catalog that um, that Steve Data did, and but it only has... Um, yeah. Interesting. What about specimens well, are you interested in? Well, first of all, just, I mean, in, in my trying to understand where your work is, is born out of mm. i sort of went back out of curiosity to to look at it i mean to to, to look at like the um the early incarnations of it mm. and th- when i when i was looking at these photos which are um almost these very kind of science beautiful but scientifically driven mm. experiments they almost look like mandalas or something um, they, I was wondering if like, um, I was like, who, where, where is this connected to in the history of photography? I was wondering if there was any Roman Vishniak in there or if any, if there was any, I mean, I was even thinking of Harold Edgerton and his yeah, 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 camera yeah, experiments. Yeah. Um, the Vishniak relationship and, is kind of obvious in a way to me too. Yeah. But he romanticized his uh-huh. <laughs> his specimens, didn't he? You yeah. know what I mean? It's like there is a there's no question enlarging specimens yeah. is was there from the get go. As soon as you could enlarge a photograph, right? Uh rather than make a contact print. Uh, so yeah, no, I there's no. I borrowed that. Yeah. Right. <laughs> okay. So I wasn't. So, so I was. No. Uh, no. 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 I, I was invented, on with that. Okay. Invented, I don't think I've invented anything. Do you know what I mean? As a, as an artist, I, it, I've just borrowed uh, ideas and processes right. from different people. When I first started, I discovered a set of 
uh, negatives of insects made by a late 19th century photographer. And then I brought them back here. And because the change in relative humidity, they were going to powder. And because I was a printer, I put them into my enlarger and conserved them by making enlargements Hmm. because I thought the negatives would disappear. And so that was the first work that I made. And then I went on to those, but then I was looking for an equivalent in a botanical photographer, like someone that did early scientific studies. And I couldn't find one. And then John said, just make your own negatives. Why mm-hmm. don't you just do it yourself? And that's what the, that's what the f- first half of that is. So like from 89 on, I was uh, making my own botanicals, kind of in that vein of the 19th century scientists, but being more romantic about the whole thing. Mm. So they montaged. But then at the same time, I also went back and made these carte visites, I called them. I don't know if you saw those online. But those are uh, about an 1890s uh, studio portraits of, I call them carte visite, but they're not, of uh, women in mourning, actually. And I enlarged those to life size. Hmm. There was my first exhibition in uh, my first more contemporary one at PPOW oh. with those. They're pretty, as an installation, they're very present and powerful. They're kind of extraordinary, actually. And there's a set of them, actually, at the National Gallery in Ottawa. They have the largest collection of my work. Oh, I can't find them now. Where are they here? <laughs> I'm Jordan Weitzman, and you're listening to my conversation with Gary Schneider that we recorded at his place in Long Island. Visit us at magichourphoto.org to browse our archive of over 50 interviews and to check out the books we recently published by Ian Lewandowski and Linda Rosenkrantz. There's something about showing what the eye doesn't see. Yes, that's what I was interested in doing. Right. Mm. Okay. But that was always the intention of um, micrographs. Uh-huh. Early ones, 19th century ones. Mm-hmm. It seems like it was like this bounce-off point for most of your work. Yes. Whether it was... Whether it still it's informs like, all of the work. Yeah, portraits of hands or... Yes. When, if I'm making a portrait, the person's lying down, right? right. They're being examined, right. basically. <laughs> I mean, same thing with the nudes. They were, they're lying down, and the, the large format camera is over them vertically, and then I'm... I just open the lens in the dark and with a small flashlight, I'm at the surface of the face exploring detail. Mm-hmm. And in the, and that can take eight, the early black and white ones with 30 minute exposures. These are an hour. The nudes are an hour wow. exposure, not even the, you know, composing. It was like two hours to compose them. Huh. If someone was, you know, it was not easy. Right. And so, it's a very intimate process in the dark. Uh, and so when I'm at the surface, then I can, I discover, you, I mean, when you're, when you're looking, I mean, actually we now use, as we've grown older, um, if we look for something like in the basement or we've lost something or it's under the bed or we take a flashlight and we look for it right? because it focuses your attention, right? Like it, it sort of, di- it directs your eye 
to focus. And so that's why that's how I make my portraits. It's directing the eye to look at the details one at a time. But and that, but that's the meditation. What's actually happening is there's an interaction with that person because it's such an other kind of experience right. like for them and me. It's a kind of a new way of, of sort of meeting someone. Right. Yeah. Right. And that's why I never have never given it up. I mean, I've been making those since 89. Hmm. Mm. 30 years. That's a long time. Yeah. yeah. Now the results are always, I mean, especially in the, um, the figures, the faces, the nudes, yeah. they are, um, um, they can be challenging to look at. They can be challenging. They're not glamorous. They're not glamorous. No. They don't necessarily, they, they don't flatter. No. They bring out all kinds of details in people's um, bodies and faces. That... I mean, Moira, in, in her piece, she says, they're blemishes I didn't think I <laughs> Well, I mean, it does, but, it does. Because it actually, even though it's such a long exposure, mm-hmm. each, it's an accumulation of many short exposures, basically, right? Mm-hmm. And so it can be, it can be pretty sharp. And because a flashlight can go from various, I can have various angles, I'm kind of creating and distorting at the same time, you know, um, Mm -hmm. shadows and surface things. Right. Yeah. You know, when you take a picture of a person, oftentimes, Mm. uh, you know, someone is, vanity lies at the heart of someone's how someone know, who's I've never being... reconciled that problem. Yeah, how do you I mean, deal with that? I, I I don't. I mean, because just... pe- and people continue to sit for you. You continue to, you continue to make pictures of people. Know, you no. photograph people who you photographed um, twenty years ago over again. Yes. Um, I mean, Heinz in his in his written piece. Mm-hmm. This is Heinz. Heinz Emichholz. Okay, it's a filmmaker friend from uh, Germany, mm-hmm. and uh, and he's wonderful. You know, he's he has a very expressive face. You know, it's wonderfully active while I'm photographing, which is very valuable for me, for my work. If someone gets very frozen, it doesn't work because they're not, you know what I mean? They're not relaxing, you know? Mm-hmm. So um, <laughs> he, in the end of it, he says he can't really talk about the most recent one yet. Uh-huh. <laughs> Needs a little time. He needs more time to come to it. Yeah. And it goes back to that Peter Ujar thing of give it 10 years. Right. Yeah, you'll love it. Right. But I don't think people ever love their portraits of me that I make. Mm-hmm. You know? And that- then, very honestly, like in the Avedon, Avedon really, I mean, we can't really talk about each other in the same breath, but he wasn't, when he was making his art. You printed for him. Yes, I printed for him too. Yeah. But when he was making his art, he wasn't interested in glamorizing and he didn't care if they liked it or not. Most people didn't like their portraits of him. Right. I mean, by him, their portrait by him. You know, it's not like commissioning him to do like, you know, Francesco Scavulo made glamorous portraits and so on. Yeah. Right. right. I mean, you know, weirdly enough, when I'm editing these things post-shoot, I'm interested in the presence of the person rather than all of those distortions, sorry, and rather than all of those surface problems. 
there's a portrait of a friend that was made, the first color series was made in like 2000. And uh, she really, I mean, she didn't stop me from exhibiting it. It was actually made into a 48 by 60, a 60 by 48 inch print, right? Um, she was very uncomfortable with it. And it, and in those days, I couldn't print myself. This was the beginning of the, uh, you know, the, the 21st century. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the prints were made at Le Monde. But then I, for the book, I rescanned the transparency and I remade the image. As a printer, part of my dyslexia is the fear of failure. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like a terrible fear. And so I never presented someone a print until I thought it was way more than their expectation mm-hmm. of what that image could be, of what mm-hmm. that negative could produce. Mm-hmm. No one ever needed to know how long it took me to make a print, and it takes me a really long time. And no one ever needed to know how much material I went through. So there were exhibitions where I'd have to print, well, for one artist, I'd have to print, because you have to, if you're making an edition, you have to print it at the same time, because otherwise you can't really make it match. And I would always say to the person, every print will work, but they won't match each other. Mm-hmm. <laughs> They'll all be a little different, right? That was the Peter Ujar thing too. He never made two prints the same. Uh huh. So it prints in an edition could be, you know, five, an edition of... Well, it could be 20, right? Or it could be, like in the case of Avedon, it could be 12. He was 12 plus three, and I got a proof. He actually he didn't want me to have a printer's proof. He gave me number three out of three mm-hmm. of the APs. But, um, well, there's a whole other story there too, because he didn't want me to have a print. And I what? said, it's fine. You know, you don't. I don't have to have... Approved, but because I think I undercharge, mm-hmm. uh, I will just surcharge you 100%. And then, you know, which would have been, a, I think, a good deal for him. Right. Uh, but he said, oh, well, in that case. <laughs> <laughs> in that case, you could have the. You were working with him directly? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, you're always working with him directly. Yeah. Uh, I mean, uh, uh, well, I mean, after the first meet, no, no, I wasn't working with him directly. Irving Penn, I was working with directly. He would mm. come to the studio. I went to Avedon Studio, which was kind of fun. And then after that meeting, then of course his assistants would come and pick up prints and take them back, and he'd draw on them and I'd come back, and I'd make another proof. And da, 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 da. it was that kind of an exchange. And in that case. All the prints had to match, which I could do. Do you mm-hmm. know what I mean? It was possible to do. Yeah, yeah. Or in the edition, in each edition. Right. Was yeah. he a very? Was he very exacting? Very. Hmm. Mm. He knew exactly what he wanted. Well, he knew exactly what he wanted at that ta- at that moment. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. Was it because I've seen? You know what I mean? My tendency would have been to make the work more detailed but at that time he kind of wanted this very graphic thing hmm. yeah very ill-fed prints uh-huh <laughs> well it's so interesting <clears throat> in that in working with um so many different artists um and understanding the differences in what people want well it's performance for. i come out of performance right and so for me since i was already an artist right i 
I wasn't interested in making me. I mean, it was interesting for me to to suspend myself to what that person desired. When I'm making my photographs, it's the same thing, really. You know, Mm. I'm interested in what comes back at me, what I'm learning from it. Because I was always kind of shy as a kid. And so this one-on-one relationship is very valuable to me. Is that the thing that excites you about um, about the work still? Mm. Yeah. The one-on-one thing? Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 It's like I can know someone really well, like a really close friend. Once they come into my studio and we're making a portrait, it's a whole different relationship. It's mm-hmm. very, very different. And then once I see what they've given me, then, of course, I judge them totally. Huh? <laughs> Some people don't give you anything. Well, it's true. Yeah. It's like, you know, has, if Peter says it, Peter says it. Ginsburg didn't come to, he didn't, he wasn't there for me. Right. He wasn't interested in me. I got nothing. I mean, it's that simple, right? And so he was judging Ginsburg based on how much Ginsburg was interested in him, right? I mean, that's yeah. interesting. I mean, this is the man that wrote Howl. It's like, you know, it's, mm-hmm. it's sort of, he was at that point, he was the superstar, you know? I mean, he still is kind of, but then he was really huge. Yeah. He was huge. <clears throat> yeah. And Especially so, in the gay community, right? Yeah. I mean, he was huge. He was the biggest. Yeah. He was the biggest. He yeah. was the, he was the guy. You know, right. and he and, and it's, you know, he, anyway, I just love the piece because it's sort of it, it's everything that I believe making a portrait is about. Now, Avedon, on the other hand, was interested in this other thing, this other thing, this un, like making Marilyn Monroe be unglamorous. Right. The way that a photographer interacts with a subject, how they, you know how they get a subject to give, mm-hmm. how they get a subject to, is such a fascinating one to, to me. To me too. I mean, it always has been. And it's also, yeah. it's so, um, uh, everyone is so different. I mean, mm-hmm. that's, to me, it's such an interesting in, interesting thing to I mean, every author is different. Every author, yes, every photographer yes, yes. is different and how they do that, how they yes. interact with someone in order to get something out of them. Yes, and I mean, that's the, you know, I mean, I wish I could be like Peter on some level. I'm just yeah. not him. You're different. You're, I'm you're a totally just, other yeah. chemistry. Do you yeah. know what I mean? My brain works in a different kind of a way. I just read a piece on Judith Joy Ross. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A great piece and a great photographer. Yes. Yeah. Great photographer. Yeah. You know, she talked at Princeton when I was teaching there and uh, it was curious because she has Tourette's. Yeah. And so, that must, and of course she can control it, but that must be part of what's going on between her and her subject because they are so there for her. It's an extraordinary thing. Yeah. I mean, I, when I first saw her work, I was like, how does this, and this before I ever met her or you know saw her speak, how does that happen? Right. Uh, you know, and then I, I'd experienced Peter and that's very different from Judith Joy Ross, but not dissimilar in that his subject is his person is coming to him. They becoming 
in sync with him in front of them. I don't know. What is that? I yeah. Don't, I, yeah. No, it's a hard it's thing. It's extraordinary. It's a hard thing to describe. And, and it's he a doesn't fascinating talk thing to, much to watch. when he's photographing. He didn't talk much. No. Yeah. I'm sure she doesn't either. Yeah. I can't imagine she does. But the yeah. other one that did it extraordinary well was Zanelli Bacholi. Mm-hmm. Like, have you have you looked at those portraits? Yeah, like sure. in Faces and Faces. They're unbelievable how much connection she has with her her person. Right. And how that connection is made. You know, you're just saying how Peter didn't talk much, but you, you don't need to talk to make... I don't know, to have an energy or to have a connection. Well, I talk all the time. I mean, it's like you, you I'm talk like a directing lot? and talking you, and telling them what I'm seeing. Do you? I'm like talking. Yeah. And You're, counting, I count the light loud, you aloud. Ca- you count the light out loud. I'm counting the light because each piece is a certain, depending on the, Wait, what do you mean? how much geography I'm covering. Uh-huh. <laughs> I have to like, have to keep track. What do you mean you count the light? What does that mean? I literally count the light. It depends on my mood. Some days, nowadays, I'm much slower down because I meditate more. Yeah. Over the last, you know, uh, couple of decades. You've been meditating so, more? Yeah, I have to. I have a lot of nervous energy, as you're experiencing now. But it would have been way worse if, uh, if I hadn't, you know, if I hadn't uh, it taken that in, you know, harnessed it in some way. How long do you meditate for every 30 day? Minutes. 30 but minutes. But I do other day. exercises. I'm with a behavioral therapist and I... I do a lot of different things to uh, deal mm. with anxiety issues. Hmm. Mm. Thirty, you do thirty minutes of straight meditation. Yeah. A day? Hmm. Any particular kind? I've always good. I've always explored different things, right? But it's it's sort of Buddhist meditation. Yeah, mm. it's it's quiet. It's like you know emptying. Mm. <laughs> what? <laughs> no, this is great. I'm, I'm oh, really? so interested. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Do you meditate? I don't, but um, oh. my my. You don't seem like you need it particularly. I, I mean, feel like everyone me needs it. I feel no, like, no, no. I I like I'm doing a little bit now. I would get so anxious in an interaction, I wouldn't really let the other person finish a thought. Mm-hmm. I'd be so nervous to, like, be present. I'd kind of jump on it and, you know. See, you don't give that off at all. Maybe it's, it's no, as a it result of really it. It worked, yeah. <laughs> it, it all worked. Well, it's not any meditation. It's all this behavioral therapy that I've done. Uh-huh. Mm. Huh. Which you, you continue to do. It's been like an ongoing thing for a well, while. Well, I have these machines that I actually... Um, <laughs> we don't have to have Neurofeedback work. Huh. Yeah. Neurofeedback I strengthen, work. I strengthen different parts of my... Brain chemistry. Yeah. Wow. How? Uh, I mean, by Wait, by yeah. by preferring one brainwave over another, huh. uh, and it's all Bluetooth kind of interacting with the screen. Very very interesting. It's fascinating. The, the brain. It's like oof, the brain to me is the most fascinating thing. Mm-hmm. That it's so malleable. That it's so malleable. Yeah. Mm. Something that I was so curious about on the Peter note is. The photographs of you when you sat for him, there are a few. Um, well, the the ones that are really known are you in contortion. Yeah, you doing. There's one of you doing a handstand, I think. Yes, you in contortion. A headstand. A headstand. A headstand. Yeah. Where did those? Have you ever, have you ever talked about where those poses came from? Like why? Well, yoga. Yoga. Okay, so you're kind of yoga. yoga kind okay. of yoga. Yeah. So that's the other thing I do. I mean, uh-huh. I have a mantra. Yeah. 
And so I even do that kind of meditation. And I just did a, a virtual workshop okay. doing kirtan and chanting. Huh. I love chanting. Oh, yeah. So you've been into it, and you've been into it for a while. Well, you you got know, into I had a mother. I had a mother that did yoga, and I went with her to yoga as a kid. Really? And I, I can't really do yoga. My body, I'm, I'm very Western, and so I'm very, like, if I'm in a group, and, you know, there's somebody able to bend forward and get their head to their knees, I want to do that. And, of course, then my back goes out. <laughs> You're a little competitive. Yeah, yeah, I'm very competitive. Yeah. I'm very competitive. <laughs> you know, it really drives me crazy. So I don't do yoga any longer. You know, when he was photographing me, I was so wanting to, I mean, I just met him two years earlier. and so wanted to please him. Mm-hmm. And I knew his work so well. I was sort of making Peter Ujar photographs for him. Right. I, don't, I don't know what yeah. that means. Yeah. It was really, I mean, it was terrible and embarrassing in retrospect. But I was very serious. Like, there's no real jokey, jokey photos. Like if you look at the Susan Sontag contact sheet, she's like all over the place until she does it, Yeah, right? Until she's there. I was wanting to be there from the first frame. Mm -hmm. And it's weird to look at now so many years later, right? I was so young. Um, And so, yeah, I. by the time we got to the poses... I was sort of showing off for him, right? That, oh, I, look what I can do. I've seen you've done similar kinds of things, right? He'd done, he'd done a, a bending over photo with Robert, that sort of famous Robert, Robert Levithan, mm-hmm. was his p- partner and stuff like that. Um, and so look what I can do, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> right, you were flexing a little bit. I was, I was, you know, giving him other. I was giving him other, like shapes. Right. Mm. And they ended up being these pretty unique poses. Well, it, they're kind of amazing, aren't they? They yeah. are amazing. Like those two that got shown together, um, you know, of my back where you don't see my face. And then my face, um, they're both like still lives. But the one with the face is actually also a portrait, right. you know. It's ama- they're amazing. I mean, those kinds of photos of his. And they're all very different from each other. I started. Do you ever make the connection between meditation and um, the way you you photograph? Yeah, in my, yeah they're meditations. They are meditations. Yeah, is, yeah, that how, are. is that how you refer to them? As? Well, I think of, I'd, I've, nev- I've never really been that presumptuous. But yeah. I, they are actually for me. Mm-hmm. Well, everything we do is, you know, brushing your teeth can be too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> if you do it with, you know, with with con- with present, if you're you know conscious of what you, do, if you're focused on what you know, if you're present with what you're doing, yeah, it's a meditation. Yeah, I mean, this is sort of a meditation. Yeah, I mean, thanks so much for having us here. It's just, uh... oh no, it's fun. I think you're like amazing at this. Oh, thank you mm. so much. So I knew it would take me out of myself. Yeah. Mm. Thank you. (laughs) Thanks so much, Gary. That was my conversation with Gary Schneider that we recorded in Long Island. This episode was produced by me, Jordan Weitzman, and was edited by Ellen Payne-Smith. Original music for the show by Adam Feingold. 
to find out more about the show and to check out the books we recently published, visit us at magichourphoto.org and follow us on Instagram at magichourpodcast. Thanks so much for tuning in and see you next time. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.